You're now listening to the Something Good Podcast Network. Please press any key to continue. A kiss, as defined by Dan Webster, is something pleasing, a caress, a gentle touch. But there's another kiss that isn't in Webster's. Hey world, we're kids! Some critics say they don't make music, they just make noise. Yeah, kiss! Kiss implies the extreme in the theatrics on stage, utilizing fire and smoke and bizarre costumes and the ever-consistent, constant concealment of their true identities. Speaking of which, Kiss is going to have its own comic book soon. Take Kiss with you. It's fun. Show your friends and be the first. Now. And welcome once again to No Time to Turn, a Kiss Nerd podcast. Nerds. I'm Russ, and as always, I'm with Cap and Alex from the Something Good Network. Yo, yo, yo. Hey, Hey. look at that. (laughs) For a second, I was like, did he No, that was actually right. I was so used to you saying the... Look at you. All right. And uh, we are tracking the history of Kiss, album by album, year by year, or I guess in this case, cycle by cycle at this point. Yeah, (laughs) right. Um. We are going into the revenge era, which is for a lot of Kiss fans. This is a this was a big time. They 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 hold this in high regard. So we're going to kind of examine what was going on in the history of the band going into this and kind of coming out at the same time. Um, of course, we're not experts, but you know we have our opinions. Uh, I, you know, I lived through this, right? I and you know have very clear memories of this time. And I had already kind of turned the corner on this, so I've never actually listened to this album all the way through until preparation for this this show. Wow. Okay. You all know, right. I I was I was already kind of off in my own orbit by this point. Kiss had already just lost what, me. What had, it, what had captured your attention by that point? Oh, I was into my punk rock thing. Got it. Right. You know, right. I was uh, everything that this represents represents everything that I hate about music to this day. Well, this is kind of the time period where the well, uh, tide Russ's is turning already. <laughs> right, right. Well, I mean, there's a lot to, to unpack here. Oh, absolutely. Here. You know, what a lot of what I like about music is in this too, and that's what's kind of the weird dichotomy here that's going on. Yeah. So, but, um, you know, we got to kind of, coming out of the hot in the shade thing, you know, for some reason, I can't find any information on this. Kiss got a new record deal. We talked about that in the last episode, and I think it was, was it seven albums over 10 yes. years? Which is a really excellent deal for them to get. Um, I don't know why they would have gotten that, given that they had failed to meet expectations with anything they had delivered up to that point. I can't see any other record label offering them a deal. And obviously, we talked about in the previous episode, they were setting themselves up to go their separate ways. I mean, whether they acknowledge it publicly or not, it was definitely in the back of their minds. I mean, they're all off. They were all pursuing other interests at that time. And like time. I said, for me, and, the, the one that really kind of teed it off for me was for the fact that Bruce was trying to start producing bands. Yeah, well, it's I like, mean, of all people, Bruce, Bruce already is like, had he, a career before he was ever in Kiss. So, exactly. I mean, he so for, for the fact time. that like around that point is when he did start making yeah. the next plans for a move. It's like, that is interesting. So, you know, the Hot in the Shade record was clearly just product, stopgap material to fill the void. It was demos they polished up. Yeah. I don't think they had any illusions or illusions. I don't know what the correct word is towards that album being a quote unquote successful album. But they had renewed, you know, renewed the deal. They needed material. They needed it quick. 
And so what we got was hot in the shade. Yes. But that's just, I mean, and that's one of the unfortunate truths about what this band is, has done. I mean, that's just product. They really didn't put a lot into that, and it shows. I mean, that we we talked about that in the previous yeah. episode. If you missed it, stop what you're doing. Go back, listen to the other one. Because this one didn't this one. make as much sense. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but here's an interesting factoid that uh, I had forgotten about, and I can remember this being in the trades. Oh. <laughs> back in the day. It's alleged that at some point in either late 89 or early 90. There was some sort of discussion about a possible reunion tour with full makeup and costume. Apparently, Ace claims he was approached. Mm -hmm. The idea was floated. It was going to be with Eric Carr still retained instead of Peter Chris, which is interesting. That is a lot to even be unpacked there if you wanted to. But uh, Ace's counter was instead of a tour, they should do. Two shows at Madison Square Garden, two shows at the Forum in L.A., film everything, home video release, you know, which at the time, home video was a burgeoning, it was a it was a thing. Oh, yeah. You yeah. know, there was a lot of commercial viability in that. Um, you know, and this was a, either before or in the wake of Ace being approached to open the Hot in the Shade tour. Mm-hmm. You know, but that would have teed the ball had he had done that and gone out. You know, the idea was Ace would open and then do the encore, and he felt like that was playing second fiddle. But to me, that was clearly they were teeing the ball for oh, something yeah. like that. <clears throat> That's them clearly extending the olive branch. And, and yeah. it's like, well, let's, you know, and see how, you know, kind of tease it and then go from there. Whether or not this is true, it doesn't matter. It, even if it's not true, it just shows that the ghosts are being stirred. Mm-hmm. And, and again, at the same time period, Rise to It music video yeah, where they, they test the waters yeah. with the makeup. So There's it's a in the lot air. of kind of like throwing out the line. And also, maybe, pure speculation, but we also did cover and say that there wasn't as big of a swell of interest with Gene and Paul putting their makeup on as they were kind of expecting hoping, or yeah, hoping. Yeah. Maybe that kind of extinguished yeah, even that yeah, fire. That's that's true. But it's interesting Again, to note speculation. that this is you're finally seeing a real rise to that nostalgia for the makeup era to the two point in August of 1990. Um, CZ Records, I think, out of Seattle, if I'm right, might be California. I don't know, but it was one of the underground indie labels. Uh, releases a tribute album entitled "Hard to Believe." A Kiss tribute album. And it features underground punk bands covering the classic Kiss material. Yeah. Including what artists? I haven't found Uh, this. The Melvins, Nirvana. It's one of the only recordings Nirvana did as a four-piece with Jason Everman. Huh. They do Do You Love Me. And it's it's basically a spoof. Yeah. Yeah. But the Melvins do a pretty much note for note God of Thunder. And then they drop the uh, Kiss Alive drum solo in the middle of it. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Which I think is Dale Crover playing drums. The Melvins have actually done a lot of Kiss references. They're big Kiss fans. Mm -hmm. Um, Big group from Australia called the Hard Ons are on it. Um, (laughs) I love it. (laughs) That is a good one. Coffin Break, which was a band out of. I think Seattle. Mm-hmm. Um, they were, you know, the bands that had their, you know, little underground thing going. And it was, you know, and it was sort of an anomalous thing. It was like, wait, what? It, uh, and it was self-reverential, and that they called it hard to believe. 
Yeah. <laughs> but, and, and also around that same time, you really weren't seeing a lot of tribute things yet. You weren't no, seeing tribute very, albums. Yeah, this was very new to mm-hmm. the game kind of thing. They're way ahead of the curve. I mean, punk bands usually are ahead of the curve. And it's like, I always say, the underground's just like real earth. It's like you've got all this underground movement that eventually erupts to the yep, surface. Because, and becomes, because actually thinking about, well, no, never mind. Point invalid. Keep well, going. anyway... I, you know, I, I guess it's also worthy to note that of the original release, only one of the 15 tracks dates from the post makeup era. So, I, but I think that goes to show, I mean, this is the influence that the band had and they were probably completely unaware that they had that influence. It's the original band that holds this influence. It's not obviously the eighties thing, No, but, um, also interesting to note that during the Hot in the Shade tour, Polygram hired some sort of independent research firm to mm-hmm. survey KISS fans at, at KISS concerts. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I didn't see this. I went to I went to that. That was the last time I saw them without, you know, on their sans makeup, whatever era. But the idea is to figure out what the fans like and don't like about the band. Mm-hmm. Like, is this better music through science? I don't know. I was like, did they uh, get uh, any particular answers that yeah, stirred some pots? The answer is they are no longer seen as a heavy rock band. Well, they're seen as a balladeer with, band for some reason. I mean, you know, I, I mean, Crazy Nights was super clean and glossy. It, it, and, the, the Let's Put the X in Sex, their big hit for this that that even gave them the ability to tour with Hot in the Shade was forever. Yeah. The ballad, yeah. You know, uh, you know, but they're no longer seen as a heavy rock band. Two point. That year, Cher records and releases a cover version of World Without Heroes. Wasn't a hit, but it's interesting that it occurred. Yeah. (laughs) And actually, one other thing that I'm very surprised we didn't mention, and I had it in my notes, I just completely overlooked it and didn't mention it on the show, but... um, And I think this isn't even his first tour. I think he started on the Asylum tour, but on keyboards, we had Gary Corbett. Yeah, he's been involved all through the 80s off and on. It's like when they need him, they have him, and when they don't, they're like, you can go home now. And he was also involved with Paula's, wow, Paul's (laughs) solo shows. Oh, was he? Yeah. Okay. Okay. So all of that together I found pretty interesting. Well, yeah, he's not going to be involved with the Revenge era. No, he is not. He no gets, keyboards on the Revenge yeah, There era. is keyboard player on the Revenge tour. His name is Derek Sherinian. I think it's how you pronounce oh, it. He's from, now uh, in Dream Theater. Dream Theater. And uh, I know him from like the Black Country Communion records with uh, Joe Bonamassa that were pretty good. Oh, okay. Isn't that with... Um, Glenn uh, Hughes. Glenn Hughes. Mm-hmm. I always like the Glenn Hughes era of Deep Purple. Me too. I'm very partial to that. Anyway... But this is in the deep purple part. No. <laughs> what <Uh-oh>. if? <laughs> I wonder if there is. In early 1991, uh, after dealing with prolonged flu-like symptoms, Eric Carr was diagnosed with, and I don't know if I'm saying this right, pericarditis. That sounds about right. Is it pericarditis or pericarditis? Uh, I don't I know. I should, have, I should have looked this up before I... We're not anyway, doctors. I've heard <laughs> both pronunciations. Well, it's it's fluid around the heart. So yes. he's diagnosed with fluid around the heart, mm-hmm. and the doctor gave him a sponge and said, "No." Yeah. <laughs> <Ba-dum-boom>. <laughs> I'm here all night. <laughs> all right. So he's diagnosed with fluid around the heart, and after they clear the fluid around the heart, this is when they discovered he has a tumor mm-hmm. in his right atrium. And um, it proves to be a cancerous tumor. And on April 8th, he has surgery to remove the tumor. 
And in this interim, while he is recovering, the group have been contracted to provide a track for the soundtrack of Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure. Yeah, dude. Was it not a bogus? I thought it was Bogus Journey. I don't know. It was the second one. It was was the second second one. one? Yeah. I've never watched those movies. I have never had the slightest <laughs> I never saw, in it. I never saw Bogus Journey, but I, part was one's a bogus, classic. Was it really Bogus Journey? The set sequel was, yep. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so that, this was a uh, this soundtrack. This wasn't even the, the first one. This no, is the shitty the exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Mother. Anyway. So, but here's what's interesting. They don't choose this song. It is... Chosen, chosen for, for them, them. Yeah. by Interscope Records. <laughs> I don't find who. There was somebody in the higher-ups at Interscope that was a KISS fan, apparently, and specifically requested that they do this. Mm-hmm. So Gene and Paul just rewrote the lyrics a little bit, retweaked the song, and then... Yeah. Were they asked to rewrite the song, or did I they just do it on their own accord? From what I was able to kind of hear from like both Gene and Paul's perspective, that like they, of course, were told to do it, and that they just kind of took it upon themselves to make it a kiss song. Well, the original lyrics are kind of wackadoo. Yeah. It's kind of post-hippie. Kind yeah. of thing. It was originally recorded by the band Argent. Yeah. I first heard the song when I was about 15, and it was a Christian rock band called Petra that covered it. And my mom was super religious, and I was at church. Sunday. We were, we were old school Southern Baptist, Sunday night, Sunday, Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night. We were there Woo! for my entire teenage years. And so I was exposed to this Christian rock stuff. And there was a guy that had that record from when he was a kid. He was like a Sunday school teacher or something. Cause this was recorded in this. They recorded it twice. There's an eighties version too, hmm. but okay. whatever this band Petra. And that's the version that I knew. Right. My memory of it was, it was actually a pretty there. That seventies version was actually a pretty good, you know, I mean, it's, it is what it is. You know, the song, it's not yeah. much different. Um, but I mean that's a distorted memory from when I was fifteen. I'm fifty now, so that's thirty five years ago. Whatever. <laughs> I I don't it's odd. The otter thing here, is that right? Otter? As opposed to or, beaver. Uh, <laughs> there's a decision made to reunite with Bob Ezrin. Yep. Yes. And I can find no information as to whose idea it was to reunite with Bob Ezrin. Did anybody find this? It because seemed to just kind of be an just, ambiguous, like it was we time. Just thought to, it was time to try again. Yeah. yeah, it's, yeah. Like, mm-hmm. it's never just a thing. They it's just not. go. There was something that drove them to that point. I mean, but every reference piece I've seen is, and they pull Bob Ezrin back into the frame. Like, I think Paul said the most on it, but even that was like maybe a couple sentences. It was something to the effect of, um, Bob was ready to try again with the Kiss record. Uh, we weren't sure yet, so we want. So it almost sounds like sometimes, like they were like they want to be like smug about it, like oh, we thought we'd throw Bob, mm-hmm. poor old Bob, a bone. So but, so we gave, so we tried it with just one song. We clicked yeah. and decided, and he wanted to. I think it that was uh, he wanted to repair simple. his reputation because of the elder. It may, exactly, it they were may still kind well of, be that simple. I mean, they might have been looking. Okay, well, you know, we've got this new record deal. We need to kind of, you know, they're always looking for a Svengali. Mm-hmm. You know, they tried this with Crazy Nights. They waited two years to get Ron Nevis, and it didn't work for him. I don't know, but, you know, that's the curiosity here. It's like, why would they go back to Bob Ezrin? Now, let's look at what Bob Ezrin's done in the interim since he had last worked with Kiss. Perhaps his most uh, successful recording 
production, I guess you would say, is the so-called reunion album of Pink Floyd, A Momentary Lapse of Reason. Yeah. I say so-called because Roger Waters wasn't involved. And yeah. And Pink the, Floyd nerds would probably agree with me. It's not. It's not the wall either. So. Well, no, but, you know, interesting side story to that. I can remember when that came out, reading a you know article about it, how apparently they recorded that album twice. Yeah, I've read about that and his too. Kids, <laughs> and, and, and when he played it for his kids, Bob Ezrin, and they were like, "Yeah, this is good, but it doesn't sound like Pink Floyd." And it was just like, "Stop, go <laughs> wow. back, do it all over," because they didn't have Roger Waters there, and they would they acknowledge, you know, well, it would have been a lot easier had Roger been there. But anyway, <laughs> that's interesting. Yeah, I just have no use for any Pink Floyd post Roger Waters. I forget uh, the movie maker uh, or the director rather, but there's a director that does very similar. He doesn't allow studios to mess with his movies in the slightest. He doesn't allow for any sort of outside input, Mm -hmm. but he'll take the film to like a random screener in like what would be like a Gaffney, South Carolina. Oh, and do an audience preview. And do an audience preview there. Oh yeah. And then take those in that input and immediately make changes. That's not uncommon. They do that. Um, and I don't doubt that there's probably a certain level that was done with this to some degree with music in the day. I don't know. Um, yeah, the curiosity to me here is they, he, you know, I was looking at his credits and the one that popped out was this band Bonham, Jason Bonham's. Yeah. Dundering heavy metal band. He had been in a band called air ace, mm-hmm. which was more like a prog kind of a thing. And I've never heard of them. Yeah, it was, no, Cause no, it's not good. None of it's spectacular. <laughs> not even the bottom stuff Bottom is, was not good though. That's the no. thing. And, and what, what is very noticeable about this stuff he did with bottom that even at the time I'm like, this doesn't sound like a Bob Ezrin record. Like Bob Ezrin had a production style. That's he really kind of did. he was very, very pronounced, unique style. I mean, he is in rarefied air. And I, I keep coming back to, and I, and I know a lot of people are gonna roll their eyes and probably laugh and chuckle under their breath, but I put him at the kind of a level of like a Phil Spector. He was yeah. the Phil Spector of the seventies. He did you know, I mean, orchestrations, he had I mean, everything and the kitchen sink. I mean, you know, I think that's entirely like, valid. You listen to Billion Dollar Babies, you know, even on just Hello Hooray on the on the coda section at the end, you hear the cannons underneath it. I mean, you know, who does this stuff? Bob Ezra. In the in the eighties, the only thing I can think of of note that kind of, you know, had his you can hear his fingerprints on is that Hanoi Rocks record, uh, Two Steps from the Move. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't think I forgot all about he doing. Yeah, I forgot he did that. Mm-hmm. I, did, I don't know how I missed that on the credits. Um, but you know, at some point, he's made this shift to a more simplified, very direct approach that kind of eschews the signature. That, yeah, and that's kind of how the Hanoi one was, even though the arrangements are all over the place. Well, you know, that's a good point because I want to. We're going to get to that here and shortly, but um, but you know. I don't know if this is just a reaction to, you know, like a director that has done, you know, where, like Francis Ford Coppola was famous for going way over budget and to a point where he tried to form his own uh, film com- or film company, really, company. you know, yeah. and, he, and he had a studio and he went completely bankrupt doing it. So, you know, movie companies came in and were like, all right, enough with these director projects, <laughs> personal projects, you know, we're going to make product that's going to make money. So I think it's the same thing. I mean, this might be in the wake of like Fleetwood Mac had made the album Tusk, which was a double or I think a triple album, wasn't it? On vinyl? I can't remember. I could not tell you. But like Fleetwood Mac had Tusk and Boston had Don't Look Back and had taken years to make it, took two years to make it. 
Pink Floyd, The Wall, mm-hmm. you know, these big excessive overwrought, very expensive records. And I think the record companies had came in and said, okay, we're, we're, we're cutting the purse springs here. You're going to do quick, fast, cheap, and easy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> and I think he needed to prove that he could do cheap, fast, quick, quick and easy. And that's why he's doing these kind of like, you know, what I'd call B rate bands, you know, but whatever. Um, the initial sessions on this, uh, I guess they tried, Eric Carr to, tried to play drums from the information I got. He came really? in and they, they were like, let's see what you can do. And they were like, nope, nope. I, I didn't That's hear anything on that. His, because... his take was, I'm good, I can do it. And their take was, it wasn't there. Mm. That See, that, I, I didn't run across that one. And I found that interesting because... We have kind of been a little critical on Paul for kind of smacking pre- people down, you know, within his retelling of things. And uh, not to jump too far ahead, but he was discussing, you know, what is soon to happen. And he said that he felt like he was protecting Eric, saying, you need to heal. You need to get better. Singer is only going to be in the band for a little bit. He said he I, didn't realize that. That was the original playing, plan. And that I playing drums and playing in Kiss was part of his lifeline. And, and Paul even admits, he goes, I don't see why I didn't see that because Kiss was that for me too. Right. So again. I think he's sincere with that. I don't yeah. doubt that that, that narrative mm-hmm. is not a bullshit narrative to no. me. So, I think they with really. that. He was saying that he completely cut it off and said, no, you're not going to play. So uh, that's what made me question him even trying in the first the place. The only thing that, that only gives a, me pause to say that that, isn't, that that may still be a bullshit narrative is just the fact that those two in particular did not get along at that point for whatever reason. You know, what you what, you know, but we weren't obviously I wasn't there. We can only yeah. speculate, yeah. but it's moot because um Actually, you know what? According to the information I've got, let's see here. In May, it is determined that the cancer in Eric's heart has spread to his lungs. And in early July, he begins, I think it's June. I might have that wrong. But anyway, he begins chemotherapy at the Sloan Kettering Cancer Institute in New York. While the band begins pre-production of the next album in Los Angeles without him. But the band's paying for all his medical bills and everything. As correct? far as I understand that, that is correct. There's people that, you know, I, there's a lot of rumor and speculation and blah, 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 blah. I don't want to get into that because right. I don't know. And I didn't feel like I really wanted to dig out those details because it's not really no, pertinent and, to and, what the big picture here is. And I will yeah. say if folks are interested, there are plenty of interviews with people from the family that YouTube in writing everything. Yeah, if you're interested in seeing it, look. it's it's well documented. Yeah, after all, all through this podcast, we have purposefully tried to avoid a lot of the backbiting and infighting and personal. This is drama. just one. Yeah. Unfortunately, we're, we're we kind of have to touch yeah. slightly, but we're still not going to get into well, it. Right. This, this is where here's where I'm kind of again. This is the big question mark on the narrative. Like I said, I kind of feel that that's sincere, but certain things happen here that I didn't know about until I did the research for this program. Eric insists Eric Carr insists that he appears in the video for God gave rock and roll to you. And the video was filmed in Los Angeles on July 27th and 28th of 91. It was directed by uh, Mark Rezica. Is that how you pronounce his name? Rezica? 
He had directed the Rise to It video. Okay. And he had done videos for like White Snake, Winger, Joan Jett, Cinderella. Cinderella, of course, also managed by Larry Mazur, who is yep. now managing Kiss. Apparently, while he was in L.A., the band had resolved to use this opportunity to formally and legally dismiss him from Kiss. Yep. And mm. he came in so gung-ho and so raring to go that they changed their minds. Damn. And apparently he was there till three in the morning playing his ass off uh, during the shoot. And I think uh, he also made effort to prove that he could record this album again. And uh, same same process. They were like, no. Yeah. Go home. Get better. Yeah. So Eric Singer is again contracted to take Eric Carr's place. I got to be careful with the pronouns here. Eric Singer, Eric yeah. Carr. We'll yeah. just go by Singer and Carr yeah. now. <laughs> and the understanding is that it is temporary, that he will play and as a substitute until... For the record. Eric Carr can... Because they had not recover. even discussed anything about tour. This is strictly for recording. And of course, like you said, Eric is left feeling defeated and abandoned. True or not, you can understand... And 100%. Paul concedes that, you know, they didn't, he probably didn't handle it right. Yeah. I think it's very kind of big of them given their whole, you know, pretense. Yeah. And to, even though to, it was know, kind of a sticky thing, that's why I even still wanted to mention that. I think it's that. big that they acknowledge that they probably didn't handle this well. And um, let's see here. Uh, on September 5th, Eric Carr is in attendance at the MTV, easy for me to say, the MTV Music Awards. Mm-hmm. Someone's going to make a lot of hash out of that. (laughs) (laughs) We see you, Barry. (laughs) Uh, This proves to be his last public appearance. Um, Because on September 16th, according to the dates I have, he suffers an aneurysm. And it leaves him partially paralyzed. And several weeks later, he suffers a second one, a brain hemorrhage of which he loses consciousness and he never regains consciousness. And supposedly Damn. during all this time, the band is unaware. Oh, I did not know that. They from, didn't, from multiple they, they got accounts, no oh. they got no information yeah. about this. Wow. That's, that's because they knew he was, he was still in recovery phase when they did the MTV right, show. Right. <clears throat> so they knew he was still recovering. He still needed downtime, but the hemorrhages, he, they didn't, they weren't aware that he had lost consciousness. No, he, they got one phone call like a couple days later, but then after that, and this is in their books and again, it's touchy subject, but it's still kind of colors an interesting narrative. They were continuing to try to reach out to the family, and no one was answering the phone. Mm. Well, it all proves moot. Uh, Eric Carr dies on November 24th, 1991, at the age of 41. Um, Mm. His death receives little notice as Queen's Freddie Mercury dies on the very same day. Mm. So even in the end, he's playing second fiddle. Mm. To a bigger name. Um, he had a very brief passing mention on MTV News at the yep. closing of their MTV News segment. Uh, I don't think it made Rolling Stone or anything. I think if I remember reading somewhere, Gene Simmons wrote a nasty, you mm-hmm. know, y'all should have acknowledged this note. Yep. And I think they published like a paragraph of it. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Rolling Stone not doing their job. 
Come on. Well, I mean, I think it actually took until like, oh, what, being like this, this recent decade. Like, I think in the 2010s before they finally got on like the cover of Rolling Stone or some shit. Like, they've always had a problem with that publication. Yeah. I've been reading all kinds of nasty things about Rolling Stone lately. <laughs> well, I mean, it's valid. Yeah. It's, it's a valid. But that's argument. a whole other podcast. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Kiss always did better with magazines like Cream yeah. in the 70s. And then in the 80s, it was Hit Parade. Well, Hit Parader was kind of a bullshit magazine that compiled their interviews well, out was, of well, was it press metal material. something? There was Metal Edge. Metal there was, Edge, yeah. There they got was, some on that. You know, these heavy metal magazines, they're definitely targeted to teenage boys, which there's nothing wrong with that. But it was the, you know, girls had Super Teen and 16 mm-hmm. and Tiger Beat and boys had Metal Edge and Rip. Yeah. Oh yeah, and circus. Circus was circus. kind of like the, the uh, I thought that was more seventies. I thought they had kind of rolled cream. in. Circus was popular in the eighties too. Okay. Um, Kiss uh, formally announced Eric Singer as their new drummer on November thirtieth. So that's how many days after the death of Eric Carr? If that's the twenty fourth, so you're talking about what a week later? Pretty pretty quick. Yeah. I mean, they had no choice, I guess. Yeah, they were already working together. What was this, 91? Yeah. But, you know, the album was just still being recorded. I don't know. I think they could have waited. I would have, if if I were in charge, and this may have been a managerial decision, I don't know. You could point the blame anywhere. But if I were their manager, I would would have been like, "Um, let's wait until after the holidays. Yeah. Let's get to the new year. And then we'll address that would have it publicly. Been a, because you know what? That could have actually, Let's if we want to look our, at it from the manager's standpoint, that could have built up a lot of hype for Revenge. Here's our brand new drummer. Yeah, then wait, a couple yeah, weeks later, right. here's the new album coming right. out soon and a single. They should have like, circled the wagons in this case. Mourn the loss or not, if that is whatever they were feeling, however they were feeling, let them deal with it their way. But as far as public perception, you know, no news is no news. Yeah. So, um, so they finished this album with Eric Singer. And do you want to just go ahead and hit this yeah. track by track? Let's the album go. is called Revenge. <laughs> and <laughs> believe it or not, the day of us recording this uh, is the 30th anniversary of this album's release. It is the to this very day. We are recording this on May the 19th. And we did none of this. None of us realized and as we were preparing for this show. No, this was not planned at all. No, nope. it's like the we day had of. No clue. We couldn't have planned this if we had tried. Nope. I had seen like one or two posts, and it still didn't even like because I knew this month was the 30th anniversary. I'd seen a few posts about it already. So it's like when I was scrolling my feed this morning, I saw Kiss Online posting about it. So I was like, okay, you know, well, they're just finally getting on the hype train. Cap sends the thing today going 30 years today in our group chat. And (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. so weird. That's so weird. Uh, You know, I don't feel old. (laughs) No. Well, actually, real quick before we go into our track by track, I feel that it's really important to also mention that when they go into the uh, studio in December of 91 to do all this, they also reach back out to Vinny Vincent. Vincent. That's right. You know, we should address that before we get into this. I mean, that's curious. They, they do. It seems like I read they, they bumped into him by happenstance somewhere and just, it was just one of those, Oh shit. Hey, situations. Um, 
so how many co-writes does he get on this? Because I know Bob Ezrin winds up with a half dozen co-writes on this because Bob Ezrin always has co-writes. We talked about this yeah. on the previous records where he worked with them. Bob Ezrin always gets co-writes because he's going to get that publishing money too. Yeah, I see three right off. That's what I see too. Well, let's well let's do track by track and we'll address it because I've got I've got <clears throat> that in the notes for each song here. So okay. uh, right out of the shoot, they hit with this song "Unholy." Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people feel like this was a really strong comeback for, you know, a return to form. Not only for Kiss, but for Gene Simmons in particular. Um, this really seems to come out of left field, given the direction that the band had taken with all the poppy kind of, you know, pretty mm-hmm. boy Paul Stanley shit. Uh, it's a strong track to a point. But once you acknowledge who it is and what they've done... It feels a little false and forced to me. At the time when it came out, I hmm. just was like, okay. I don't know. Whenever I hear this, I picture full makeup Gene Simmons with his tongue out, screaming his ass off, singing yeah. this. So I, 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 have a, I have a perspective that lands perfectly in the middle between the two of y'all. I completely agree that I feel like this is kind of like a return to form for Gene, but I also 100% see what you mean, Russ, how... Again, we're recording this in 2022. Hindsight. We have hindsight yeah. of even what's come after this right. to put in. Even as much as we want to block it out of our heads, we know what all comes after this and what's come before. People that have just gotten off the train of hearing Gene sing about logs and fireplaces and no, 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 and, <laughs> and thrills in the night and everything else, all of a sudden he's busting out saying, you know, I am the demon of the dark. I am unholy. Well, yeah, it, it does seem a little like, whoa, that's a little bit of a turn and, 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 and from given, where we were. And given where a lot of this is going to go on this record, the lyric is semi-intelligent is to question, you know, oh, you call us evil. Think about, look in the mirror. You know, right. that's a, that's okay for a, you know, for a hard rock oh, song. Oh, yeah. This is a good heavy metal song. And I think so. And that's what I was also going to mention. We did this a lot during the 70s. We really didn't do it much during the 80s, but I feel it's also important to mention that during this time in the music world, heavy music was dominating. The oh, hair yeah. metal has completely fizzled out. By this point, you had grunge and Metallica well, and heavy metal really kind of dominating the, maybe not the airwaves, but at least the ticket the sales. Rock, the rock audience. Exactly. But, yeah. Well, I want to, well, you know, I'm going to discuss that here in a minute. Well, when I just get think to the that summary kind of, of it, but I, I just, a lot at of this the time, record. this was a hard one for me to swallow because of all that had come before it in the previous 10 years. Is, and I had lived through all that, and I have still clear memories of it. So when Gene all of a sudden comes out of left field trying to act like the demon without makeup, right? <laughs> I have a very clear memory of like laughing my ass off at this video when it came out. I was just like, "Come on, dude! Maybe if I grow up." I just, but then again, I was also I had I wasn't a teenager anymore. I had already turned the corner. All of this seemed convoluted. It's you know, I'm like, and it's obviously so in hindsight for me. But we'll we'll talk about that when we get to the summary of the whole album. But honestly, I, I just, for me, but it, Russ, he's got a goatee, he's I, badass I, I, again. I know, <laughs> but it's just like, I'm like, this is a guy five years ago that was wearing sequin robes and eyeshadow and rouge. You know, it's like <laughs> I don't, I just, you know, I'm like, where do we get to this? It's like, it's like you're you're trying too hard at this point. Well, here, I'll I'll, and, I'll annoy you. My last point on this song. 
it to me this feels like God of Thunder Part Two. It does. I think that was the intent. I I think mm-hmm. it's it goes too much heavy metal, mm-hmm. and that's the thing. I'm like, if this had a looser rock quote unquote rock style to it, maybe it would have worked better. I feel like that on some of the, a lot of this material, but they were going very full bore. We've got to be a quote unquote heavy metal band and also and they've got a standard now mm-hmm. and we've got to adhere to this standard and also important to note first record in a long time that starts with a gene song yeah, yeah. true uh, larry mazer of- was very much a proponent of bringing gene back to the forefront yeah and that's probably part of the decision process on how that goes second song though we go from we go one back. extreme to the other <laughs> and we've got take it off and it's like oh that's found uh, found them uh, right where we left them <laughs> and this now song. this i'll take the lead on this one real quick and say outside of critiquing how the song sounds production even the uh, music itself i find it so interesting that this is a Bob Ezrin co-write. Right. When, all the way back in Destroyer, what did he do? He challenged them to stop writing suck me, fuck me songs. (laughs) And now all of a sudden, he's back in the fold. I I think there's only one part of this song, and I think it's very obvious where Bob Ezrin all of a sudden drops in like a bomb in the middle of this. Oh, the slow part? Which is the best part of that whole song. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. a whole oh, other song. Sweet and it's like, why sing. is that here? And why is it so much better than the rest of this song? That's Bob Ezra. And it has to be. Mm-hmm. I think the has uh, to be. subject matter uh, might have uh, been contributed by one Kane Roberts as well. From, now, what did he... I, I saw the name. I just didn't look it up. He's the guy from Alice Cooper's band in the 80s that was all jacked up. Oh, that guy. Oh, that motherfucker. You didn't okay. look it up. I, I <laughs> No, Look it up. No, no, I didn't <laughs> wrong, do it. Wrong, wrong record. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that's that's really weird. Kane Roberts was the muscle guitar player for Alice, and mm-hmm. I, it's curious that he got brought into this. But then again, you know, we've seen already their willingness to kind of co-write with anybody that's willing to sit at yeah, the table with them. I don't know. I, I can't think of any Kane Roberts '80s hits. By oh yeah, because we didn't mention <laughs> Vinnie Vincent was the co-write on the whole. On the whole oh yeah, 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 yeah. I wonder if he wrote that riff. I was curious about that too. That, that does sound a little bit like a Vinnie riff. He's it cr- does. He he's does. Cr- he's credited on the album for uh, the guitar intro. I don't know if it's that little fade in part or if it's the uh, riff itself. I think it's the riff, but I don't know. I mean, and like I said, Unholy was a good song. I just don't think it. It, it's too much. It was like trying too hard for but me. That, but for, but yeah, take yeah. it off. Mm-hmm. Take it off. I think I think it's a cool riff. I like the phrasing. The, I do too. Uh-huh. But the lyrics are goddamn dumb. That whole even I'm a for, tough guy and I'm out on the prowl with that local titty bar line. And it's even, like even for God, Paul. Damn it's dumb for Paul. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like this song. It, it's again. It's like it's this. It's, it's, I hate to sound like a broken record, but all these records you see. All this missed potential yep. to I mean, do really good, strong, and just get, good, hooky, hard rock, which is what they do so well. And they're go- but it's like they got the line, and it's like, but they have their standard, which is way above the line or outside the line. And it's like you don't need to go there because but, I will say when I was do. younger and not really because you know how you'll be young, listen to lyrics, know what they're saying, but not fully process it. It's just like they kind of go in one ear and out the other. I remember liking this song a lot as a kid, but it's for the exact 
exact same reasons you just said. It's a good riff. It's a fun tempo, and his m- vocal melody is even yeah, cool. It, it's it's the it's only there. bad thing yeah. about it is the lyrics. It's Paul really does the that lyrics a- kind of kill it, and it goes on for way too long. It's almost five minutes yes. long. Yeah, Paul does that a couple times on this record, where there's some great hooky melodies in the verses and pre-choruses, but it's just they're just well, the, all we've, dumb. We've talked about songs. that in previous episodes. It's like they always seem to lose it at the chorus, but you know, and it's got that patented kiss harmony in it they've dropped that in but again it's like they're wasting it in this trite fucking bullshit take it off but russ it works for the tour because they'll bring strippers on stage and it's fun and there's boobies <laughs> look we're gonna say well, that i mean there's nothing for wrong later. with boobies i think <laughs> everyone jump ahead generally considered you know <laughs> okay, okay well if we love boobies if we are gonna jump ahead a little bit to that i will also say being maybe 11, 12, getting that confidential right, VHS right. tape and they're like, showing. I was, like, I was like, whoa, this is the greatest thing ever. Being in a rock band must rock. You can get strippers on stage, everything. Over the last few weeks, like getting ready for this and even watching some of like the bootleg YouTube revenge era stuff. It's so cringy when it happens yeah. without the editing. The editing makes it look cool and exciting. Watching just the single cams, oh, yeah, yeah. oh it's so <laughs> cringy. Oh, it's so bad. That's what's so bad about Kiss to me post makeup is so much <laughs> of their stuff is just cringy and corny. And that's the problem. It's like you're just corny. Um, tough love. Two, two point. Tough love. <laughs> this isn't a good song at all no. on any level. I I listened to this twice trying to go. Well, is there something in here I can pull out? You know, because I'm trying to find something, and there's nothing here. This is just dumb. It's a dumb chorus. It's a song that goes nowhere. It's forgettable. I, I will say nothing. this song reminds me of another one that's later on in the record that I think is better. So no, I don't like this one as much, and I didn't even back then. Um. Another uh, Bob uh, Ezrin co-write, but also a Bruce Kulick co-write. Also, yeah, yeah. This may, okay, we'll blame Bruce. Yeah, really. <laughs> Good job, Bruce. Way to go, Bruce. <laughs> We're never getting him on the show now. Oh, and he's so accessible, he's, and, he's, and he's, you know, he's so nice. He's so nice. We love you, Bruce. Every time we love you, we really and truly love you. I've, but I've, I've said awesome. nothing but nice things you've about got, Bruce. You've got, you've got, I, I, I'm, I'm, I don't like tough love, Bruce, but we love <laughs> you, guitar play. <laughs> this is tough love, Bruce. We're just being honest. <laughs> He's very proud of this record. He released a video he, about yeah, it today. I, I just—it's not a good record. Okay, just keep saying two point, two point. The, the cringe keeps going. Spit. We get this dry ass okay. vocal from Gene oh at the very boy. beginning. He's Here talking about production calls from Ezrin. Wait. Peak quality. Wait, stop. Can I just say this? Poetry. Right out of the front. We have made so many jokes over the last several albums of them being Spinal Tap. And here now they are actually using Spinal Tap lyrics. Wait, which were the Spinal Tap lyrics? The bigger the cushion, cushion the, the sweeter, sweeter the, the pushing. That's right. And it's like at this point you're just like, God damn it. <laughs> this isn't even, y'all are laughing. I don't even find this funny because it's so fucking Bad. It's like ACDC already had the big girl song. Well, yeah, it big this, hips, is a, this is sweet a, lips. Make a man out of me. This is <laughs> and let ACDC be ACDC. Yeah, but they, yeah, it's. <laughs> 
What it's, the it's fuck? Bad. And then the Star Spangled Banner I know just it. right in the middle of it, which is like, what? Is that With supposed to be like some sort bombs. of, you know. <laughs> that, and I would, say, I would say that was a Bob Ezrin idea. That just feels like a Bob Ezrin. That's the that's one of the few Bob Ezrinisms in this, and it's an ill-timed, ill-placed point to do it. Bruce, I just, get on the podcast and tell us what the fuck happened. This is so this fucking song. stupid. I wanted to smash my goddamn stereo. <laughs> like, why? Who likes this song, and why? I remember like and listening to this, weird, and it's like the delivery. You know, that bigger the cushion, the, the better the butt. Oh, most definitely. Yeah, <laughs> it doesn't get better after that. I need a whole lot of one mind. <laughs> Keep Those little like scat parts. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, he scats <laughs> Oh my god! <laughs> and you know what? I, I guarantee you, he stole that from fucking Van Halen's uh, <laughs> David Lee Roth. No, from Why Can't This Be Love? Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Just I mean everything here just reeks of some bad idea that they stole from somewhere else. Mm. But you know what's weird? Poorly regurgitated it all over the fucking. They were proud of this. You know why? Because it's a duet. Because <laughs> they were fucking dumb and didn't know better. Well, not only that, but like <laughs> no, that was why? a good one. Because <laughs> because uh, again, not to jump too far ahead, but during the MTV unplugged recordings, mm-hmm. the full uncut has them playing this song. <sighs> Like they did it as like it was before every time I look at you. So they're like pulling out the piano and like getting the string section set up. And they're like, we're just going to mess around some. And they played like Hard Luck Woman and then like a second of God of Thunder. And then this. They play the whole thing. They play all oh, of this. They play a second oh of God. God of Thunder and they play the whole of this. Yeah. Fuck them. Yeah. She's <laughs> <laughs> an acoustic guitar going. Do, 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 do. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And Bruce is like looking at them going, like, I can't play this on acoustic. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, this is not the song to improv right. right now. You know what? We've made the point. We've driven it home. Let's keep it moving. Yes. <laughs> so God Gave Rock and Roll to You now makes an appearance on the album. It was already used in the soundtrack. I guess this is a different mix. Yeah, a slightly different, but I've Big listened deal, to... so what? I did, yeah. I did the audio file thing of listening to both versions. They're pretty much the same. Um, but honestly, I, I dig the song. I don't, I don't know that I've it. ever have either of you heard the original because I don't yes, think I have. I have. I found there's. A I bit, may have. There's I, a YouTube video. I'm sure. Okay. To, I, I mean, I'm sure I probably have somewhere, but I just paid it's no it's pretty similar. Uh, Eric Singer, of course, puts his mark on it. Uh, but musically, um, it, it's pretty similar. Well, you know what the song reminds me of? Um, I don't know if we're getting too far ahead with like Kiss in the Media in the early 2000s, but there's that VH1 show where. Uh, Gene Simmons is teaching this uh, group of little kids how to be in a band. Mm. I think it was like Gene Simmons Rock School or something like that. Okay. And there's just one little, and he teaches the band how to play God Gave Rock and Roll to You, or at least shows them the song, and that's like the flagship track for the entire series. Oh, they seem like they were trying to get a lot of mileage out of this. I, 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 here's what I have in my notes. I have it that this version is too bubblegum to be epic and it's too epic to be bubblegum. That big sweeping, huge chorus feels very epic, but it's a trite bubblegum. And I'm like, I think if they moved to try to make more out of it than it was, it made an epic, uh, it still probably wouldn't have worked. Yeah. It wouldn't have worked, but if they had pulled back, I don't know. I'll defend it a little bit because I I feel that there's a lot of really redeeming qualities to it. Like for instance, one of the things I really love is when they when it breaks down to the, the single harmony? guitar oh. and that dual harmony. Well, you know who that is. It's not Paul and Gene. 
It's Paul and Eric Carr. Yep. This is Eric Carr's last recorded moment with Kiss. Yep. So there's some poignancy to that, knowing that. Mm-hmm. Well, see, Not I, knowing it. I feel like I remember hearing that, but no, that wasn't something I remember. But I love that part. And honestly, how it goes back into it with the heavy riff, the boom. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Right. And even the little build back up to it. It just I feel there's a lot of cool, dynamic, it's redeeming not, qualities to not, the song. It's not terrible but it's just not it's just kind of there and i will say hearing it, it live it works live it? Yeah, yeah because I, when i was on the kiss cruise the bruce keelick yeah. band played it and uh it, it on it, it hits a certain way live like because the whole crowd was singing it they dedicated it to eric carr like all the other stuff and it was just like ah no this did is it, fun. did he do the corny spoken word outro because that's he, cheesy he, as fuck he they did the alive no times can be hard yeah they, they oh did the alive three version you know what else can be hard listening to this record <laughs> come on now Domino. I mean, it's Gene Simmons trying to be ZZ Top. <laughs> Let me tell you my story. Uh, I got a man-sized predicament. Oh, Christ. It's a big one. Bullshit. And it goes like this. And she can't even vote. Yeah. She's not old uh, enough to that, vote. That is <laughs> oh so... Christine 16 Part 2. <laughs> <laughs> when I saw you coming out of school that <laughs> You know, this almost works for me. I just, it's just, it's so creepy and leering, though. That's it's trying the problem. To, again, it's the like music's all this cool. stuff that would be kind of cool. Like, there was something that was almost kind of endearingly charming about Christine 16 in its own fucked because, up way. Well, because you know? it was also but a guy also, in his mid 20s singing it. And it was also, well, that still doesn't make it okay. You know what <laughs> I mean? Was a, he was, but it, it's also Christine 16 is a great what? Pop song. Yeah. It really is. This is not a great pop song. This is no. just a sneering fucking heavy metal. I'm tough. Yeah. Dig me. I'm a ma- I'm macho motherfucker. Look at me and my goatee <laughs> and my bit, sunglasses. The, the way the, the bitch euphemism. Yeah. It works so well for one reason or another. I can't define it. It's an intangible, but in a hundred thousand years, it works. And this, it just, it just it's a desperate attempt to sound well, hip and with it's over. Yeah. I forget my and, name. And, and you're not hip and oh. with it. You're just you're just old and incompetent and it's dumb. I just like how he says uh, every just, damn time it's the same dang thing. Is that what he says? Yes. <laughs> he says every damn time I go through that door, it's the same dang thing. <laughs> he does say damn it's twice. Just, oh, it's just dumb. It's, I mean it's just fucking dumb. <laughs> And it's it's hard. It, that's this is the most cringeworthy moment probably it's on this record. Fucking cringy. Uh, interesting music video though. Uh, no need to really get into you know the production of all these with directors and stuff. But interesting that because I have a feeling you've probably never watched the music video. For this. I didn't know there was one. Yeah, it's not it, remarkable it, by any means. It, but. It fe- well, there's one kind of interesting note to it. So it shows Gene. Literally, the narrative is the band is practicing playing the song and gene is just cruising through what looks like la to get drive through fast food yes <laughs> that's literally all that i don't happens. Even think there's a girl in the video <laughs> no there, no there is you want to talk about the weird leering part motherfucker stops to get gas he hops oh, out yeah. in his big long black trench coat uh, leather trench coat he's wearing course, for the thing he's so pumping badass. gas and like this traditional early 90s glamour model comes out with the big blonde poofy hair with the long dress on and he like looks at her smiles and like tips his sunglasses of course he's wearing sunglasses because he's night. so damn rock and roll at night, at night. 
right because it's so damn right and wrong. And she gives him the most like you are a creeper look and just like beeline. So Ew. at least they were. But the interesting note on it is so Gene is not part of any of the music scenes at all. During the solo, you see Paul playing bass. Yes. Really weird. There are certain moments in the video where you see Paul Stanley playing bass. So I just thought that was an interesting tidbit. I think there's a there's potential for this to be a good song. Yeah. It, it's not it's just Fix it's, some it's of the lyrics. So, it's just the lyrics are just such a put off. It could have been something better. And you know, if it, I guess if there weren't so much just dundering stupidity in this <laughs> dundering stupidity. It could be a good song. <laughs> I it, it, it's trying to be a good it's song. My next band, Loves, you know? Love lots of money, loves yeah, to hurt so uh, good. Yeah. I mean it's it's I mean it would have been okay. I yeah. just again, I just it's just hard for me to swallow, especially at this point when everything is a lot more you know, a reflection of an honest self as opposed to a convoluted pose, which is what Kiss does so well. But they're conv- they have nothing to pose behind, whereas the original band did, and it had substance. This has no substance. It's uh, time to flip the tape. Two point. <laughs> Heart of Chrome. My now notes look. here. Look, I'm just gonna say this, and y'all can say whatever you want. My notes say trying to formulate my opinion and have already forgotten the song That's all I, got. I have no memory of this song now the, at all this one i feel is kind of like tough love but i like heart of chrome a lot better i think it's got a cool chorus how it's got like the chanty background thing while paul's doing kind of his stage rap the yeah sugar i'm gonna stick it like that kind of thing but you've he's got gonna the do back. what he's gonna what <clears throat> stick it in your heart of chrome i like the verses and the pre-choruses but that's about it i've never i didn't like the i feel like there's too much going on in the chorus really so i think the chorus is cool this is another vinnie vincent co-write but there's also a bob ezrin in here somewhere but i don't Uh, the bob ezrin is that slow droney part i bet that and the build up to it leading into the da 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 I think that's an Ezraism. Yeah. But no, I think out of the two, if I had to go with the I'm Paul Stanley and I'm Tough songs, mm-hmm. between Tough Love and Heart of Chrome, I think Heart of Chrome is way better. Cooler solo, I agree better with that. cool. Better well, chorus. I didn't write anything negative about it other than I just had forgotten it. So <laughs> yeah. obviously I felt it was better than, than the other one. <laughs> What do you got any opinion on this? I mean, like I said, I got I like the verses. I think the chorus is too busy. But other than that, the music's it's fine. The one like negative I'll give it again is stupid lyrics. And if there's like, I don't really like any of the Paul songs on this album, like at all, yeah. except for like maybe this one. Well, it seems like that's one of the weird dichotomies that are at play on this record. We'll, we'll get mm-hmm. to that. Let's get through it and then we'll talk about that because there's a Paul side and a Gene side and they're not coinciding here. So. Uh, thou shalt not. Did I, did I miss anything? No. Nope. Thou shalt no. not. This is a co-write with someone named Jesse Damon, who I guess was the singer in the band Silent Rage, who was on Gene Simmons' record. Oh, label. okay. So he's throwing this guy a bone. Yeah. So this song is fine, but you get to the chorus, and he says, thou shalt not. And I'm sitting there going, thou shalt not what? what? <laughs> he doesn't yeah. say. I've got the well, same thing. Okay. Is, it, it's, I, I got the same thing. Verse part's okay. Course sucks. Well, so to answer Cap's question, thou shalt not, I feel like that is kind of just a reflection of the rest of the lyrics. So it's the rest of the lyrics he's telling a narrative. So if he's saying thou shalt not, he's just like, don't do what you're doing. 
But yeah, but he's so, not so that clever. He's not that clever. I think he is. You know what? I think he not, is. Thou shalt not leer at teenage girls that aren't old enough to vote. In our <laughs> you know what? Thou shalt not really. Thou shalt not make shitty records, but they're going to anyway. That being said, this is probably my second favorite track on this album. <laughs> <laughs> well, it is a you cool song. This reminded me of a Lick It Up era kind of song, and it's not a Benny co-write, which is. You know, honestly, whatever. it reminded me of like creatures. I think, maybe. It yeah. his, I think it was more his vocal delivery that kind of gave that to me. I don't know why. I don't. Well, but that I, like, yeah. I can't remember well, it right this, now. I well, made no it, impression on me. His delivery on this and Unholy have that you know that classic Gene Simmons uh, yeah. demon kind of approach to it, where he was just kind of you know more sneery and you know whatever. And the but the rest of the records that followed up uh, in between. Well, and I like this song too because it has a cool stomp to it. Mm-hmm. Like yeah. throughout the whole thing, you've got like this thumping kick drum the entire time and it never really lets up and i think that's kind of a cool vibe for a gene song and i'm even. just and i'm a sucker for those slidey guitar riffs those down uh, yeah exactly. it's an awesome little riff and and i think for even stuff like uh tomorrow and tonight when they when this throwing out lines like you know your mamas and your teachers they never did no, or you know listening to your preachers right, right, ain't right, no right, done yeah. nobody good, I feel it's kind of an interesting line to kind of toe for a kiss song to mention religion much at all. So I think this is kind of a cool little line because it's almost referring back to the unholy aspect of you're trying to point fingers at me, but look at you. Yeah, the hypocrisy of it. Yeah, yeah, but it's. Okay, no, <laughs> you I still got, don't like it. We get it. I mean, it, like I, I've written it down as it being okay. I don't, you know, honestly, I'm I can't still, remember it at all now, while we're sitting here talking about it. Now I'm curious: Have we hit your favorite song yet? Because you teased it no. last episode. No. What, okay. What? what oh, you, did you, I? You teased and said, uh, "Well, uh, we'll find out what my favorite song on this record is next, or something like that." So okay. I was wondering if did we it, hit your favorite I, yet. Did I, did I tell you what it was? No, you gave us no hints. Nope. Well, we tried to guess. Well, well, okay. Well, let's look at this next one. Um, every time I look at you. And I want to get y'all's opinions first, and then I'll give mine. It feels like they tried to do Beth 2 with Bob Ezrin on this piece with a slow acoustic ballad. I had not considered that. That's a good That's a good observation, though. That is good. I like that. Who plays lead guitar on it? It is. It's not anybody from the band. It's somebody different, and I can't think of the name right now. Welcome back to the fold, Dick Wagner. Dick Wagner. That's right. Oh, shit. Uh-huh. Who is longtime collaborator with Bob Ezrin. Hmm. And of course, is on. We talked about. He's probably on more on Destroyer more than we even realize. I, yeah, I think. And now I, I, I feel like you're, you're either going to love it or hate it. So I might as well just go with it. Mm-hmm. I, I genuinely like the song like a whole lot, and I feel like it kind of even harkens back to um, "Hold Me, Touch Me" mm-hmm. from Paul yeah. Solo record. Like that's, that's what but, I thought of too. But this is, a, it, I think. Go ahead. But but then again, a lot of people lump it in with that song saying, oh, it's that silly bubblegum pop stuff that, you know, mushy stuff that Paula, right? Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think he's good at he's it. He's good at it. And this song sings, especially on Unplugged. I know we're going to uh, get there, yeah. but oh, it's really good there. It's that the vocal on the on uh, this uh, version of it. I don't know. It feels like after the solo before, it, you know, where, he, where it kind of picks up and uh, it drop, before it uh, drops off on the last chorus, I feel like that's how he should have sang it like the whole time, you know? Well, I think it's important to leave that dynamic. That well, way that moment actually yeah, stood out to me. That's my yeah. favorite part of the whole song. Oh, I agree. It's yeah. great. Well, do you want my opinion? Yeah. You, 
really want my opinion? <laughs> this is the best song on the album. Okay, I was wondering. <laughs> this is really, really good. It's exceptionally good. It's better than Hold Me, Touch Me. I don't know where this comes from or how he's able to shit this one out. It's it's a but great ballad, accounts, and not only is it better than "Hold Me, Touch Me," this is better than any of the you know requisite. Every album had its requisite, especially in this era. Power ballad, yeah. This beats all the hair metal power ballads out of the water. Even the, this is a really good song. This could have been a good song for anybody. I was yeah. going to say if they'd have pitched this song to like every. Anybody. You 80s pop singer, this would have been like a number any, one. Anyone. I mean, this is it's 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 abnormal in its maturity on this record. Uh, and, and, to credit, your heart. and credit it's, to Paul from all accounts, this sounds like a primarily Paul song with it, some Ezrin isms. Yeah. Because during the research of this, there's actually a lot of really cool demos for these songs out. And there's like just a tape recorder version of Paul strumming that. And you can tell it's probably just like well, in his living room or something. And he's just kind of humming a melody. Yeah. And he just had the the riff. Well, I, I can't believe this didn't get much traction as a single. I can't see how this wasn't a hit. No, this was like, to me, this should have been a hit for anybody. And Paul has it's, a beard in the video. Does he? Yeah. Well, where he's like all like, where he's got the shadow. Uh, it's it's about, you know, the well, amount of beard His that maturity Paul has. and whatever, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm not saying that this is, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's not something that I would go to on the regular. But especially compared to the rest of this album, I mean, this thing comes out of left field just as and strongly honestly, as Unholy nice, does out of lyrics. the front. That's what I'm saying. It's yeah. it's way mature compared to everything else on this record. I'm not saying it's a mature ballad. Maybe 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 it is. It just feels that way in 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 light of all the other trite, awful, dumb shit that they put on this. <laughs> all the chess beat and shit. I, like I said, I, I can't see this is a, this is a better song than forever. Oh, I've, I've always thought that. I don't understand how Forever was a hit and this wasn't, because this is a million times better. I've always this thought that. This is better than I Still Love You. And a lot of people are going to raise their eyes on that. <laughs> but I totally think this is a better studio song. Studio versions, It's a different yes. kind of song. But studio it's a, to studio, yes, I agree. I think this is just a better song. Um, but let's keep it moving here. Paralyzed. I like the vocal phrasing, but I don't like the riff. If that makes any sense, it's that it D tune. It's that D tune, like a uh, whole tone. Uh, well, whole tone I, thing. Wait, there's I, a I, chugginess I, to yeah, it. That I've got, uh, my notes say I, I think it could have been served with a full chord pattern underneath. Does that make sense? I don't know how to speak muso, but if it had a uh, you know like instead of just that slinky riff. riff, I don't think it that works for this song and. I think it would have worked much better because otherwise, I think it's a decent song. Yeah, yeah. it's kind of like a, it's kind of like a. What is it on the first side? That's in that same ballpark where it's just it's like tough love where it's like there, but you know I can't sing it out and loud. It's better right than now. tough love, in my and, opinion. and even the chorus is pretty cool. How they just kind of let the note ring mm. and it's the da da da. Well, da, you know, da, uh, here's da, my question: da, 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 Do you think this was this was paralyzed? Was like trying to play off of parasite? With a riff and all the riff pattern and everything. I mean, it's similar. Like, that that they to were, me feels a little bit of a stretch. Do you think? I just a touch. I'm just curious what y'all thought. I'm like, I don't think that it, I think, I'm wondering if it drew its inspiration there and then became this song. See, I kind of, uh, after like, you know, the second or third listen to this record, I kind of went into it with the lens of like, all right, what if they were still the makeup band putting out these songs? Or we want to get to that. I can't see the makeup band getting here. 
Maybe we'll talk with, about that in a minute, say, too. I can't see the time. I don't see how the makeup man would have gotten to this point. And a lot of people are going to disagree with me on that, but I'll, I'll so explain that more. Count po- uh, counterpoint I that. can see there's... there's I, while I'm we're sitting here talking, Alex is over here with the gears in his like, <laughs> spinning in his brain. I can see him. He's like got this faraway look. I'm not saying the direct thing. I'm saying... No, no, no. I, I can I see, like, but I can my see point it. Is, I can see if it. That, if that were, in, in fact, true, it's interesting that if it were true, it's like they are now being influenced by themselves. That's always a good place to be. Mm-hmm. It's a healthy place to be because it shows how strong you you were at, at, at another point. I don't, you know, I don't think this is near near the song. Of course, <laughs> Parasite is. I mean, not even close. I will I'd say uh, one of the downsides and to this is just the random drum breakdown with the voices. Well, you know, I have here in notes. Apparently, there was an effort made to include a rap in the middle, like they yes, were going to bring in a rapper, like a, some sort of sign noted rapper. I don't know who. Yep, and it was going to be a much longer segment, and Gene recorded a lot more of his. Yeah, well, you know, and that part is on YouTube. Uh, so basically, the, the track that the rapper was going to sing to mm-hmm. is on YouTube. But of course, since he was never commissioned, that well, part's never out. All oh things to all people, right? It'd have been, been Ice Tea or some <laughs> shit like well. that. Well, you know, nineteen ninety-two. <laughs> I could, I think, I could have lived with it if it had been Ice Tea. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, he was popping up on Motorhead yeah, records and yeah, shit like that. I could live with that. I, I, I don't. I don't, I don't know, you know, but I, who knows? <laughs> I don't even um, know '90s, early '90s rap well yeah, enough to throw out even I'm a funny not a reference. Rap fan, but I, I, I like Ice T. Okay, I wouldn't. Again, it's not my go-to, but I'm like, if if I were to be like, okay, you got to sit here and listen to it. Pick one. I'd yeah. Be like, okay. Well, Six in the morning. Early Ice T. <laughs> anyway, uh, I just wanna. Technically, I just the last song on the album. I just want to yeah. skip this fucking I just, song. What? I just want to shove ice picks in my ears because, goddamn, this is embarrassing. It's awful. Summertime it's blues trash. rewrite. It's summertime blues. That's exactly what it is. Come on. No, look, look he, this hey, is hey. not a lyrical genius. No. No. Fuck I, no. That's what I was oh, about to me. say. Fuck no. <laughs> <laughs> look, I cannot ignore. I'm going to set the night on fire shooting like a Roman candle. I can't ignore that but shit. But it's summertime you can't blues. Any of this it's just dumb but the he music says, is i just so- want to fuck i just want to f- oh get it get forget it. you no, guys oh, we're clever so clever <laughs> christ no. i mean it, how, this is so embarrassing okay, but look we've talked about kiss before being clever this is not this is clever. not at all i, I lifting don't know. melodies like blatantly too I don't know. Out of out of all the Paul songs, aside from every time I look at you, like when it comes to like rocker songs, out of Paul's rockers, I think this is his best rocker. There's so much I wrong think, with I it. I think it's better than Take It Off. It's got the harmony part in it. That's Yeah, good. the chorus but again, is great. It's a waste. Why did you put this harmony in here when it could have been something? Cool little bit at the uh, near the end where they do the little breakdown harmony. When you said that, it oh, reminded there's me. There's your Bob Ezrin part, the little... Probably. Yep. Well, he's not credited on here. So it's, you know, this is a... Right well, that's a Vincent, Vincent then. <laughs> that's a Vinny Vincent. I mean, I just... I don't know. I Somebody don't, was listening I to The Who or Blue. Cheer that day. I, I, think I didn't it's like cool this song. when it was a single. That's how I knew this song to begin with. I don't I will, like it now. I, I just remember putting this on going like, oh yeah, this fucking song. <laughs> okay, I will say, Inside Baseball, so Cap and I have a band called The Fillins, and uh, one of our music videos, Lock and Load, is a completely, and it's on YouTube, it's a complete black and white, white background video, and it's because I saw that video as a kid and went, you know, that looks really cool. A black 
black and white kind of video with yeah, the band in all been, black and then all white. They had already been done. So what? It's the first time I saw it. Okay, I understand. That's what I'm yeah, saying. Fair. So right. it doesn't matter what came before it. But that you know was what? my first experience seeing a video you, like that. I, I, I'm sorry that you like this song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I got nothing to. I'll do. say it went all the way to the music video inspire one of ours. But man, so, I have there cut farts that are more compelling than this. <laughs> <laughs> I, I might have two. <laughs> oh, that's good. I'll, that's a good one. Okay. So, and it's this album closes out with something called Car Jam 1981. This all is right. A- a demo, right? I had never heard this before. It became a song called Breakout with Ace. I, yes. I've heard that. I, I have no memory of it. Uh, we've Same we've not talked about any of their uh, any of the ex members solo no. stuff. I'm, I don't know if we'll ever go there. I don't see any need to. Uh, but at the end, it's ultimately this is a drum solo. And listening to this for the first time, I had never heard this before. I thought, how sad is it? That this drum solo brings to mind Peter Chris's like, "Kiss Alive" drum solo. That's all I could hear in this, mm-hmm. and it doesn't have. And it's so. And it might just be because of the source recording. You know, everyone talks about how forceful and how powerful of a drummer he was. This doesn't sound. This sounds like Peter Chris, who was not a forceful, powerful drummer, which is not an insult. A lot of my favorite drummers are not heavy hitting drummers. You know, I've talked about that. Neil Smith. Um, Keith Moon, jazzy uh, drummers, Tommy Ramone. Who's yeah. Jazz, you know, yeah. But they weren't heavy. You know, a lot of those early drummers weren't like that. Ringo Starr, Charlie Watts, mm-hmm. like, all great drummers in their own respects. You know, Eric Carr had that thundering drum sound. They always worked hard to capture it. And here, the last thing he gets as a tribute is not sound like that at all. So I actually have some really interesting like, tidbits on this song because of all songs when I was kind of really getting into my kiss nerdum in my teens, this song always captivated me. And the reason being is for exactly what he you know, what Russ mentioned earlier was that this song eventually turned into the song Breakout. Mm-hmm. So I remember hearing this riff and going, wait a minute. I know this song and that triggered the this is confusing for me why is it an Eric Carr thing but I know this as an Ace Frehley 80s thing this is confusing so what this actually do you have this do you have much on this song in your notes no that's all I have so with this song this was part of the elder recording sessions, the Ace in the Hole sessions, where uh, they had like a one or two days at uh, Ace the Studio during the Elder. This was recorded during that time, and it was recorded during the same sessions as Escape from the Island. Okay. This was supposed to be a full song. Right. It eventually just did not turn into. So when they decided to put this on the record, they were going through all their old tapes because at this point, they were even semi-discussing doing that Kiss box set and releasing a bunch of demos. Like That was kind of something semi-circulating as an idea. So they were kind of going through their stuff. They found the demo track. They stripped Ace's guitar off. Mm-hmm. Bruce re-recorded the guitar riff. I read that too. And the drums that are on there is very much cut. It's been repositioned. It's, that yeah. came from a very long tape, right. and it was trimmed and cut down. So I found that interesting that you mentioned that it kind of had a Peter Chris Alive vibe. Well, they're literally deciding when he's going to do certain beats and when they're going to cut the tape and organize it. 
So I never thought about that before. I wonder if that was intentional. I don't know. Like just, if he, I like if he did some, just enough beats to kind of assimilate something that would be reminiscent of the drum solo on Alive. Hmm. Well, I guess they had to uh, get into the vaults, and uh, they wanted to include something as a tribute to Eric. And <clears throat> yeah, yeah, it sounds well, okay for what it is. This this whole album um, again, it's Bob Ezrin. He has six co-writes. And like I say, it doesn't sound like a Bob Ezrin record. It doesn't have any of the bombs, the bells, the bacchanalia, the bravado of. It's of very it's, stripped down. And I wonder yeah. how how actively involved maybe he was in this. If it wasn't much like uh, the Elder, where they're basically left to their own devices, self-produced, he comes in and supervises certain things. It goes, oh yeah, well let me hear what you did today. Playback, okay, check, 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 okay. That's basically a producer now. You yeah, know, a guy like uh, um, Rick Rubin, he's not actually in the studio anymore. He comes in and hears playback and then approves it. Yeah, because he's got his engineers and yeah. his sound techs. So they're not even. Stuff. I don't. You know, and what you're paying for is the name. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I think that that's what Kiss wanted here was a name. I don't I don't I, I just have a but hard time also, thinking that he's sitting in the studio actually doing this. I think you can see where his hand comes in, like with the orchestration on every time I look at you, stuff like that he might have had. But then I, I, I throw a devil's advocate question at that. Go ahead. We've got who did you say was on every time I look at you? Dick Wagner. Dick, Dick Wagner. That's what so I'm you've saying. got Dick. Dick on there, though. So it feels like if Bob was being kind of hands-off and a little bit more just kind of in the background, he wouldn't have pulled Dick in to do that. But to me, that kind of signifies him being a little bit more at the helm. Well, yeah, maybe, but I could have come back with playback and going, I don't like that solo. Mm. You know? And, and if they didn't have Wagner on it, they wouldn't have had Dick i'll be here all night (laughs) uh so you know i I just like i said i think this is just a corny sophomoric record i don't think this is a return to form i think this is just a return to what they think their fans want and maybe to a degree they're right how i you know i can remember uh I, I just keep thinking of Saturday Night Live. There's there was two skits I keep thinking of while I was listening to this. One is uh, they had back in the seventies, Bill Murray and Gilda Radner played these two kids, the nerds, and I think they were trying. There's a skit where they try to make a band and they were going to call the record "Trying Desperately to Be Liked." <laughs> and the other thing I could think of was the the Joe Piscopo was. Uh, Frank Sinatra, where he's like, I want to make a record that the young people will enjoy. That's why I'm calling this one Frank Sings Songs the Young People Will Enjoy. Yes. <laughs> you know, and that's all I, I can see them is like, we got to do songs the young Gene people Simmons will enjoy. Gene Simmons sings the songs young people Yeah, I, that's what it feels like to me. It's like, you know, and here they're copying the styles that's now popular of groups like Skid Row and I hear a little white and, zombie. You know, in Molly there. Cruz adopted that L.A. street look, and the, and you have it, Guns and Roses. These are all really big bands at that moment. Yeah, mm-hmm. and they're you know again they're they're a year two years behind the time playing catch up, and they're not sure of who they are or who they should be. So they've come up with this convoluted street image, and it's the L.A. street image. It's not New York, and not that they well, were ever from LA the streets now. in New York anyway. Kiss still doesn't know how to be Kiss, so now they've got this idea, and this works for their fans because their fans are stupid enough to buy it. Now I'm raising my hand, you know, because, <laughs> you know, one of the because it's, it's it. such an obvious, pretentious pose. 
how they got anyone to purchase into it is actually kind of impressive. But as P.T. Barnum himself said, a sucker is born every minute. And with God as my witness, I am that sucker. You know, because, I mean, I've, I've kept up with it. And now I will argue the point. I don't agree that this is a return to form for Kiss. Yeah, I don't And the either. reason I say that is this was... This is a new kiss. That, this is, there you this go. Is, Thank this you. is the third version yet, of kiss. Yet another re, reinvention. Because we had our original makeup, right. and then we had our 80s non-makeup, and now we have our 90s non-makeup. So, to me, this is the third era of kiss. Yeah. That goes to the point that I was going to make earlier, The the that would makeup kiss have reached this point in their evolution. I, I had this debate with a friend of mine recently about this. I, I'm like, if you follow their evolution up through dynasty and unmasked it's kind of a straight line they kind of veer a little bit at dynasty yeah but i think they're staying true to who they are as individuals and what they are reflecting of who they are and what they want to do whether you like it or not it's irrelevant this is the honest those are still honest versions of kiss and it's only after those records fail to be successful or particularly unmasked that you start seeing this constant second guessing and this pose that they're going, oh, okay, now we've got to be, well, that, that obviously, you know, so this doesn't feel genuine to me at all. Even at the time it didn't, but it's more so obvious now looking back, it's not a reflection of who they are and what they want to do. Instead, they're doing what they think is expected of them. There, that's, a complete lack of integrity to me. That is what I call selling out. It's not a question of how successful you are. It's what you're willing to sacrifice in pursuit of success. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah. No. And there's nothing and wrong I, with success. I only have a problem with manufactured success. Does and, that make sense? Yes, it does. So this is a complete fucking sellout to me. And this I, is a bullshit I, record full of bullshit ideas by guys that know better now look, and have no need to do now, this. Real quick, real quick, I will say... I agree with this, but that argument is going to be better served in a couple episodes. Okay. Because I feel that this, because there, I, I have kind of a mental thought with this being the third era of Kiss and them going down a specific path. Mm-hmm. This was the first step. I think I know what you're going to go uh-huh. to with this. And I don't disagree if I think what because I, if I think I think what you think, you think <laughs> what you think I think I think you think. I, I think this was going to be a much more genuine effort than the album that never got released. Oh, no, no, no. Continuing down the path. I think it's exactly the same. I, I, I honestly I think, feel that I record think, is a lot more well, contrived we, we and can, hard to try hard. Let, let's get there when we get there, but yeah. I understand what you mean. I, so no, we'll, everything we'll, you just yeah. described there, I, I would, would love there. Right. to the next record a lot more. Uh, this hmm. record is released on May 19th. 1992, correct? Yep. Yes. And so today is May 19th, 2022. So yes. we are recording this on the 30th anniversary, as we said, which is really To the weird. day. Yeah. I know. It's so odd. Uh, it it's peaks, so weird. It peaks <laughs> so on the weird. Billboard charts at a fairly impressive number six on June 6th. <laughs> oh, I was waiting for another six. Six, <laughs> well, which is... The sixth day of the sixth month and number six. Six, six, six. Oh, man. That's unholy. It's certified gold the last week of July, at which point the album had already sunk to the lower end of the Hot 100. Now, and how many units did it sell? It did not. It, it's 
I, you know that it went gold, this, right? It went gold, but it has not gone platinum. That number is actually officially available now because this is, I think, the first album that was released under the SoundScan era, where they could actually accurately mm. keep a count mm-hmm. of sales figures. So this because album is not a platinum record, and I think a lot of people would be surprised to learn that because a lot of people think this was like a big comeback for them. This but did was it was not a hit record. Did it not sell more than um, Hot, uh, Hot in the Shade? I don't know okay i I was gonna say i feel like that they did make mention that this was at least the first record that at least kind of moved a few more copies like it still wasn't a major hit but it was like sign of possible tides changing uh larry mazer insists that the gene song be the lead single first thing we talked about that yeah Uh, he's very big about we got to push some gene we've had too much pretty boy paul (laughs) we need gene uh but he wanted domino as the second single yes and got some pushback from Paul on that. And so we got, I no, just want to say, I don't think that Gene should get all of the spotlight when I've been working so hard to keep this band. <laughs> I mean, he's got a point. He does have a point, but you know what? <laughs> he's still wrong. Larry Mazur would have been right. And I think, you know, who's to say what the trajectory would have been had they released Domino? Because I don't know. Well, Domino did get released like, as a third I, single. It was yeah. Later. yeah, he had to, he had to, I guess, ping pong them. Yeah. Uh, he makes this idea. How we make? He makes this idea about doing a some sort of promotional push by putting them on a club tour. Mm-hmm. So in May of that that same month, he they do well. Actually, it started in April. Okay, they do thirteen dates. And uh, they're all in clubs or small theaters anyway. I don't see how this was a good idea. I, I, I kind of get it. It's supposed to be a very special see kiss in a club. I think they were doing that and like record store signings and to before me, the I'm stadium like, this, tour. This would signify to promoters maybe that they are now club level. I don't I don't that know. That was always the impression I got was like they had to kind of do that to build it back up for a minute. Although, well, have you watched some of the footage of these club shows? They're not great. I mean, the band's ripping in these uh, in some of this footage, I don't, though. I don't, you know, I have a real problem with this lineup playing classic Kiss material. I've always had we'll a problem. We'll get to that on the next episode. Yeah. But, um, they head to Europe in mid-May using a scale, scaled-back version of the Hot in the Shade tour with the Sphinx. Mm-hmm. And but they uh, use the, uh, instead of the uh, Sphinx, they use, what, the Statue of Liberty as their not, centerpiece? Yeah, that, not, oh, not for okay. that. That's for the full U.S. tour. Okay. Uh, we're talking. Yeah, this was the smaller clothes. And I think the downsize was, I think it was everything but the head. They had the head. They had the, they had the face. The, yeah. okay, I don't know. Yeah. I, I mean, they're they're still playing very, fairly small venues on this. Yeah. All of this in 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 uh, is allegedly for for quote unquote promotion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for promotion, their set list only includes five non makeup era songs, which well, I guess it's a third of the set. Yeah, they're they're playing fifteen, sixteen songs. I imagine. Right. I should have counted. I didn't. I just looked, counted the songs. That were. <laughs> <laughs> and only two are from the new album. Yeah. Right. So I don't know. But that's still a sizable amount compared to the tours they had done previous. They're still, they're obviously leaning back towards the classic era stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's interesting. They wait another with, as with Hot in the Shade, it's like they're hurry up and wait. Are we, do we have any kind of pull to be able to do a tour? Somehow they do, but it takes a full four months after the release of the album by which point that album is no longer even charting when they start this tour yeah which makes no sense to me which i think will be a great part to kind of pick up for the next episode as we talk about a live three which there's a lot 
to that. Yeah. So I guess uh, we will do that on the very next episode of No Time to Turn. So hopefully you will join us. And so for Cap and for Alex, I'm Russ, and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening. Please insert another coin by supporting the show for as little as a dollar a month at patreon.com slash somethinggoodnetwork.